you or someone you love have scoliosis? Are you wondering what's next? What is life going to be like from now on? Or is this even a big deal? Hi, my name is Dave Butler, and welcome to the Scoliosis Experience. We are here to talk with real people, both patients, parents, and providers, to bring hope and clarity to the road ahead. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. Welcome, and thank you for listening. I'm really excited about this episode of the podcast because it's with a surgeon that I've worked with over the last six years and who's been a great support to my clinic. He's definitely been been in the treatment of scoliosis way longer than I have, and he's, over that time, helped me to learn and, and progress in the field of scoliosis treatment. So Dr. John Smith is a, he's a well-known pediatric surgeon in the Western states for his surgical treatment of scoliosis, as well as pediatric spine surgery. And it's really hard to find someone in Utah who doesn't know who John Smith is, who's also dealing with treatment of scoliosis. When I first met him, I was new to the treatment of scoliosis, and I, I didn't quite know what I was doing. And I distinctly remember our first meeting where he grilled me about the research behind the way I treat scoliosis. And he was nice about it, but he, we discussed research a lot. And at the time, it was pretty intimidating. But I've come to realize since then that that was because he truly cares about his patients and wants to give them the best treatment possible and really the treatment that works. Over the years, we have seen many mutual patients, and I have a great respect for what he does. Even though I treat scoliosis non-surgically, that doesn't mean that I am against surgery. And when it's indicated, I am totally in support. I just hope to stop most, if, if not many, of the patients that I see from progressing to that point. So a little background on this episode. It came about from a phone call I had with Dr. Smith where we were discussing a mutual patient and whether or not they were a good fit or appropriate for VBT surgery. And as we talked, it really became apparent that th- that information would be helpful for patients and parents and even other practici- practitioners to give them an idea of who is appropriate and who is a good candidate for that surgical approach. So in this episode, Dr. Smith discusses what VBT is, what the surgery is like, and what recovery is like, but he more importantly talks about who is appropriate for the surgical technique. He also discusses spinal fusion and also why he got into scoliosis treatment in the first place. So this was a great episode for me to record. I was really happy that Dr. Smith agreed to do this podcast episode with me. I've been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while, and it was great talking to him. So without further ado, here is Dr. John Smith. So all right, I'm here with Dr. John Smith. We wanted to do an episode based around VBT and spinal surgery for kids with scoliosis, and I'm really excited that we could do this podcast. It's cool that he agreed to to allow me to come in. We're sitting in the Riverton Hospital and talking about what he does every day. So thanks, Dr. Smith, for being here. You're welcome. So a little bit of background on how I know you. I know that you've been around for a little while with scoliosis. I kind of came on to the scoliosis scene about five year, five or six years ago, and I think that's when I first met you. I had a meeting here where I kind of wanted to have an idea on 
what could be done scoliosis wise conservatively and so we had a meeting and it's been nice getting to know you over the last six years and having mutual patience and and seeing what you do the magic that you do with with surgery which is really cool so i don't really know much about your background other than that could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background well my background i'm an orthopedic surgeon i trained here in utah years ago did a fellowship in pediatric orthopedics and scoliosis and then joined the faculty of the University of Utah in 1991 where I've been ever since and as time's gone on my practice mm -hmm. has focused uh, almost completely on pediatric spine deformity and that's what I do and uh, treating scoliosis in many different ways uh, including watching, bracing, surgery uh, and as of recent, uh, one surgical option that's become available is vertebral body tethering, fondly known as VBT, which many people are interested in. Yeah, and that's that's kind of why I, we were talking on the phone about a, a mutual patient, and and you were mentioning that it would be nice to have something out there where people can know whether or not they're a good candidate for VBT surgery. So I think that's that's a big piece of what we're going to do. We were. We were just talking a minute ago about how many surgeries you've done, and you're into the thousands. And I sometimes on these podcasts, it's like, why should we listen to you? Why should we we listen to what you have to say? But I think as far as that goes, Dr. Smith, I mean, heck, you've done more scoliosis surgeries probably than anyone in the state. I'm pretty confident that's true. I'm 34 years into practice, so it's a while been a lot. <laughs> so what what made you interested in treating pediatric spines and pediatric surgery? What I liked about what really interested me in scoliosis is the complexity and the variability of uh, curves and the complexity of how to manage them mm -hmm. and the, the technical aspect of, of the surgery and correcting a big spine deformity is a very technical Operation technical surgery is something that I personally enjoy doing. It's challenging and, you know, it certainly is high risk and high reward. Um, and the interaction with the patients and families is very intense, which I also enjoy. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I, we do have a fair number of mutual patients and they, they all really enjoy working with you. I mean, you're very easy so. going, but yeah, what, the work that you do in the in the OR is is pretty amazing. I, every time I think about scoliosis surgery, I'm like, man, that that takes a lot. So maybe give us an idea of what VBT is. So, um, so vertebral body tethering um, is a concept that's doing several things. One is it's trying to avoid a spinal fusion and most scoliosis surgery is done by using rods to correct a deformity and then a fusion to hold the correction for the child's lifetime and without doing a fusion just putting in rods eventually the rods will fail or break so the idea of vertebral body tethering is trying to use growth um, to um, allow a curve to correct while you're growing and hopefully end up with a curve at the end of growth that wouldn't require surgery. And so in general, curves curves that are less than about 40 degrees at the end of growth 
followed into adult life typically don't progress through your whole life. Your risk of back pain is the same as anyone else. So smaller curves actually have a good prognosis as an adult. If you're more than about 50 degrees at the end of growth, studies that have followed untreated scoliosis would tell you that those curves, the majority will continue to progress slowly through your whole life. And, uh, you know, the rate's somewhere around a degree or so a year. So if you're 15 and you have a curve that's 50 degrees, you predict that by the time you're 30, it's going to be 65. When you're 45 years old, it'll be 80 degrees. And curves get that big, then they impact things that you can measure, um, such as pulmonary function, how well you breathe, and so forth. So 50 degrees has always been a threshold for when we talk about doing scoliosis surgery to prevent progression and correct the deformity. The idea with vertebral body tethering is that you can put in a tether that will allow the spine to actually grow straighter um, as you're growing and end up in that group that's less than 40 degrees at the end of growth and hopefully avoid fusion altogether. So that's the concept of vertebral body tethering. It's kind of a hard thing to visualize, you know, just with audio. When I talk to patients about it, it's I draw pictures and show them, you know, basically what, what happens. But it's, it's pretty cool. How long has it been around? So it's been around probably for, you know, five years or so. Um, but it was only FDA approved uh, in December of 2019. So and it was... After some clinical trials that um, proved the efficacy, the fact that this actually works and the safety of it, it was a, the device, the tether was approved as what's called a, a humanitarian use device. And so in order to qualify to do the surgery, you have to do training, you have to have an institutional review board approval, and you have to track um, complications and things and outcomes in a database. So it's not something that just anyone can do unless they go through a process, which I have, um, to be approved. The indications for vertebral body tethering are very specific. And um, typically it's, it's approved for idiopath, adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, which is the most common type of scoliosis we see where the cause is really unknown. And um, it's approved for curves typically between about 45 and 60 degrees and in children who are still growing. So there's eight stages of growth you can estimate uh, when you take an x-ray of the hand and the way the growth plates close. And that's called a Sanders score. And the sweet spot for doing vertebral body tethering are typically kids between Sanders 2 and Sanders 5. And 5's kind of a little bit on the outside. Um, because what that tells you is kids who have curves in that magnitude and that amount of growth to go, you can put this tether, which is a flexible cable attached to screws, which we put in using the scope, into the vertebral bodies in the front of the spine. And then as you grow, as your spine elongates, the tether tethers the growth and allows the curve, the spine to grow straighter. So it's not every curve that, that's a candidate for a tether and not every diagnosis, not all scoliosis is idiopathic. So we're not putting tethers in neuromuscular curves, for example, children mm -hmm. with cerebral palsy. We're not doing tethers in congenital curves. Um, so 
a lot of patients come in and see me and their first question is, you know, am I a candidate for VBT? And the majority of the time, they're already too old. Right. There are people putting tethers in adults. Uh, the company would not actually allow that unless they somehow had access mm -hmm. to the materials. Um, and so there's no real indication for VBT in skeletally mature patients just to avoid effusion. But there are places that are doing that. I think that's the biggest question I get is, you know, is this appropriate for me? And most of the time, if they have a bigger curve, they're on the later end of growth. And so the time is kind of passed for that. But yep. um, in most scoliosis cases, growth is the enemy. But, Correct. But with VBT, all of a sudden it becomes our friend and we want more growth with that. So that's exactly. kind of a cool reversal in how we view growth yeah. with that. So, well, that's great. Um, so if, if someone has growth left, oh, well, one question, you, you talked about the Sanders scale. Most, most of the time, you know, primary care physicians and x-ray reports and things, we're seeing a RISR score. So mm -hmm. what, what's the difference between that and, and how it, is there a way to say a RISR number this equals a RISR number, uh, or a Sanders number this? Um, well, so RISR sign, which is capping a bony capping or ossification of a growth plate on the top of the pelvis, has been around forever. And right. um, studies that have tried to look at RISR scores would say that, um, you know, there's a real variability in terms of growth and what you see on a RISR score. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be very misleading. But in the past, that's really all we had. Now we have a bunch of different scores, of which Sanders is one, which are much more accurate. And as one of my friends said in a paper comparing Sanders scores and Risser scores, he's kind of stated at the end of his talk that Risser is so last century <laughs> compared to a Sanders <laughs> score. So um, most people now rely on the Sanders score. There's also a humoral ossification score that's been presented a couple times recently that's um, also being used and felt to be more, at, much more accurate than a RISR score in terms of pre predicting growth. It turns out you have to take the x-ray in the right way. Um, we are currently trying to include the hand in our scoliosis film so we kind of get a two for one right. so we can see what is the curve and what's your Sanders score by holding the hands up above the shoulders and including them in the x-ray. So. But right. yeah, we rely much more on the Sanders score because of its accuracy. And I've seen some boys that are RISR five and they end up having a few more inches of growth left. And I've seen kids who are stuff. boys in particular, much harder to predict than girls, yeah. be a RISR five at age sixteen. When they're supposed to be done, they grow to their twenty. Right. So. So it, it is nice because it's already on the scoliosis X-ray. It's nice to look at. Yeah. But it's not as accurate. The accuracy so. is not as good. Yeah. That, that's good to know as far as the, the Sanders score. So that's what you're looking at rather than... So if someone wonders if they're a candidate for this, but they only have the RISR score, it's probably a better idea to consult and make sure that they still have growth left. I would agree. But if they're younger, they most likely do have more growth. But yeah, yeah they can look at it like that. You're all, you also do uh, spinal fusion. And what's, 
what's the you kind of talked about the advantages over spinal fusion that VBT has uh, you as a surgeon what what do you see as the advantages the main advantages maybe two or three advantages over fusion of the VBT yeah well so one the first ones you're not doing a fusion right the second one is <laughs> that you might avoid a fusion as an adult um, the third is you're you're modulating growth, so you're using growth to your advantage. You know the the other part of doing VBT through the scope is you, there's typically seven tiny incisions instead right. of one big long one down your back, um, and the recovery's quicker compared to a spinal fusion surgery. But you know again you're trying to predict you know how much growth you're going to have, how much tension to put on the tether. There's a possibility if you over-tension it that you could um, over-correct. Hmm. is an instance of tethers breaking over time because hmm. you aren't doing a fusion. Sometimes that's completely inconsequential if they break because you're far enough along in growth that it doesn't matter and your curve's corrected enough that you're still going to do well even if it breaks. So, so, so the tether doesn't go... From the top to the bottom, the tether is between each vertebrae, right? Between each vertebrae. So if one breaks, you still have the other tethers that are Yeah, they're, they're the still left. there. And you tension... The typical tether would go from the fifth thoracic vertebrae mm -hmm. to the twelfth thoracic vertebrae. Okay. That's the most common curve, is a right thoracic curve. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes you have to do... If you have two curves, you have to do two tethers, one on each side. Um, but... When you put these tethers in, you tension them differently. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of nuance to how they go right. in. One tether doesn't fit all. Right. <laughs> Just like every scoliosis yeah. patient is different. Yes. Yeah. Blows me away that every single scoliosis patient that I see is so different. Yeah, it's true. So you have to treat them differently that way too. Um, but how often is there like hardware failures or? Um, in a recent series out of Philadelphia. Um, where they had two-year follow-up, and I think it was about 50 tethers um, that had two-year follow-up. I think the breakage rate was like three or four of the tethers broke. They had a few that that overcorrected, um, and they had a few that, despite tethering, progressed to needing spine fusion. Hmm. But most of the outcomes, for the most part, were good. Yeah, and they kind of achieved the growth modulation that they intended to get. Do you do you leave the tethers in long term, or is that something that's taken out? No, you leave it in long term. Okay. So yeah, that's I get asked that question a lot. Well, what do they do with the tethers afterwards? I mean, there's no reason to take them out. Right? No, no. So with uh, with the surgery, one thing that's different with fusion is you have to deflate a lung. Is that correct? With the um, <clears throat> to put in the VBT to mm -hmm. the scope, yeah, you have to do single lung ventilation. Yeah. And then you reinflate the lung at the end. And then they're and then they're great. Yeah. So yeah, I've had a couple of patients who have had VBT, and they and they said it's at first it was like what I have to deflate a lung, but yeah. then afterwards they're just fine. <clears throat> they have no real yeah. issues with that. Um, a good anesthesiologist can do that very easily. Right. So and and with these being young individuals, they heal a lot faster. Than, oh yeah. Than uh, adults with that. So you also do. Fusion. Can you explain that a little bit? I mean, you're a scoliosis surgeon. Maybe explain fusion just a little bit in case someone doesn't know the difference. 
So when we do scoliosis fusion surgery, there's two goals. One is to correct the deformity and correct the deformity in a very three-dimensional way. Um, but the bigger goal of doing a fusion is to keep it from progressing through your whole lifetime. With our current instrumentation, we can get very significant three-dimensional correction of curves. So people are balanced in a very three-dimensional way. So we put in rods and screws and that's how we get the correction, but we do the fusion part so that the um, fusion holds the correction for your lifetime. And then the rods and screws sort of become like rebar, um, like rebar and concrete. They, they make the whole thing stronger. We don't have to take the rods and screws out long-term, but it's really, if you did the rods without a fusion, um, then eventually the rods can fail. They can break because they're stressed repetitively. So once the fusion is solid, then the, the rods have kind of done their job. Hmm. How long does that usually take to... Biologically, fuse? it's about six months for your body to turn bone graft, which we use allograft bone, which is cadaver bone that's been cleaned and processed. Your body invades this cadaver bone with cells that eat dead bone called osteoclasts. And right behind them are cells that make new bone, which are called osteoblasts. And so over a six month period of time, you turn this bone graft that kind of looks like grape nuts, <laughs> the cereal, into your own living bone that then is smooth and looks like your femur. Hmm. And then that's what the fusion looks like. So you said that VBT is a faster recovery. So how long does it take to recover from fusion? So fusion, we limit impact activities for six months. Hmm. While and, that bone's healing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And right now with my VBT patients, I kind of restrict their activity for four months, mainly because the screws that we put in the vertebral bodies um, are coated with a substance called hydroxyapatite, which your bone can kind of grow into. And vertebral bodies are not that strong. So hmm. we want your vertebral body to kind of grow into these screws so that they're more stable. So I'm holding kids back from doing, you know, really active stuff for four months while that mm -hmm. happens. So like impact, uh, activity, tumbling, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, being active, you know, walking and doing, yeah, all, that stuff, walking, great, doing all that stuff, just not running, jumping, right. In Utah, trampolines. Trampolines. <laughs> we have a few of those around yes, here, don't we? The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> For orthopedic surgery. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what suggestions do you have for those that have been diagnosed with scoliosis? Well, I think the, the first suggestion is, you know, there's, there's scoliosis and then there's scoliosis, I call it, <laughs> where they get screened at school and they have very minor curves. Right. So the real thing to do is to understand if you have scoliosis, what the magnitude of your curve is, because that really determines how it's managed. And it, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you have a small curve less than 25 degrees and you're still growing, those are curves that you should watch and probably six months later have another x-ray and determine is it a curve that wants to get worse or not. Mm -hmm. um, because then that opens up the option. If you're still growing and your curve's between 25 and 40 degrees, you then have the option of using a brace to stop progression of the curve. And, uh, um, you know, bracing worn properly through the, to the end of growth is successful about 
percent of the time at stopping curve progression uh, before needing surgery. And there's very good data about that. If your curves, you know, beyond 50 degrees, and if you're still growing, or if you're in that 40 to 60 degree range, you know, you may be a candidate to discuss VBT. So, but there's a sweet spot for doing the VBT surgery, and you need to know if you're in that or not. And the only way to know that is having an x-ray mm-hmm. and figuring out your skeletal maturity. If your curve's more than 50 degrees and you're done growing, then you should probably have a discussion about whether surgery is appropriate. Right. And so knowing where your curve is and where you are with growth is really the key to any kind of decision making about what to do about scoliosis. Well, and I see in my clinic, I get people that come in that are freaked out that they have an eight degree scoliosis. Right. And, and that, you know, we, we have to inform them what that actually means. And it's different with physical therapy. If they have pain, you know, we'll treat the back pain in that situation. But an eight degree of scoliosis isn't anything to worry about, especially not to come consult with you about. Yeah. And as you know, I send you lots of patients who have small curves and back pain uh, where I think Schroth therapy is very helpful. Right. And uh, I think that's, I don't see a ton. Sometimes with Schroth therapy, I'll see, you know, kids get slight improvement or maybe not progress as quickly. Um, I don't think for bigger curves, I think Schroth is really appropriate for pain associated with bigger curves, Mm -hmm. but probably not going to change them. The hard part for me with big curves is it seems like they have so much momentum. It's almost hard to slow that momentum. Yeah. So, yeah. So if, if someone wants to contact you or or see if VBT is something that is appropriate for them. And I think most places doing x-rays are not doing Sanders scores. They're not. How would they go about doing that? Well, probably the easiest um, way would be to see us. Yeah. Come in and do a consult. Mm -hmm. Is there any degree of scoliosis that you don't see in this office? Like what's the... So if you're less than 25 degrees, Mm -hmm. um, you would probably be seen by our nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. And so to see me, usually curves are more than... 25 degrees. Right. And so, and our nurse practitioner is awesome. And yeah, I mean, he's great. Huh? Yeah. Um, and so, but, you know, if if you came in to see her and she took an x-ray and and it was more than that, she would just refer you directly to me or right. my partners. So. Well, and I haven't seen anyone else do Sanders uh, scores. So I think if, if that's a criteria for VBT and someone's wondering about that, I mean, really, there's only one way to go about that yeah. is to come up and do that. Any other advice you have for kids or parents with scoliosis or anything like that before we finish up? No, I think we've kind of covered a lot. Cool. Well, thanks for talking to me. Okay. And sitting here and seeing this nice view of the Utah Valley. This is, this is great. I could sit here for a while. Yeah, so, uh, that's great. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Smith. You're welcome.